0: I'm Rick Johnson, one of the four ruling elders in this church. The others being Gary Anaya and Ugo Porras and David Fickett, who I don't believe is here today. Uh, Each of us, while Chuck is on sabbatical this summer, is taking a turn in the pulpit. A couple of weeks ago, Reverend Moises Zapata brought the sermon, and he remarked on how the clock seemed to go faster while he was preaching at CTK. Well, I can affirm that the calendar goes faster too when you're on the schedule to preach in five or six weeks. I think that's all we have for announcements. Today's scripture passage is found in Romans 7:13 to 25. It's printed in your worship program, but if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open to Romans 4:23. I am going to read a bit of context going back to Genesis and then coming forward until we get to today's passage. It sounds worse than it is. <laughs> the overall theme of the book of Romans has been stated to, have, as, to be as found in Romans one 16 to 16-17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, which simply means to everyone who believes. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And of course, this righteousness is that which was earned by Jesus Christ, by his perfect obedience and granted to we who believe it is a gift from God to us. The first half of the book of Romans, Paul wrote of the universal sinfulness of we humans and our need for God's righteousness in the first three chapters. That faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to peace with God in the chapters 3 to 5. And that the the dominion, the domination of sin in our lives has been broken and its influence resisted in chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, believers are dead to the law's condemnation, though we have not yet been made sinless. The context of today's scripture passage is Paul discussing the law of God and how believers have obtained liberty, freedom from keeping the law to be saved, freedom from the curse of God's condemnation for those of us who trust in Christ as our Savior, and freedom for rendering service to God By the Spirit. Many years ago, it was by the law, the Ten Commandments, and the law as Jesus explained, that I came to better understand the extent of my guilt and my need of Jesus. Knowing the law of God helps us to know God and His character. The law shows us His righteousness, His absolute goodness, and His purity. It is by the law that we can come to know better understand the gospel and how great a salvation God has wrought for us. Christ perfectly kept the law for us and as us, when after being born in a stable, growing up as a child, becoming a man, and being put to death on a cross, also for us and as us, Christ satisfied God's justice, having taken away the punishment for our sin upon himself. About the law, Paul wrote, as we see in Romans 7-7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For a bit of context, I'm going to start reading in Genesis. When I get to Romans, I will start at Romans 4.23 and read a few portions leading up to today's scripture in Romans 7. So let's hear the word of God. Genesis 15.6 Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 4.23 but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing but under grace. Did that which is good, this is Romans seven thirteen. now. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans about 20 years after his conversion from the information that I found. Theologians have differed in their opinions as to whether Romans se- in Romans 7 Paul is describing himself current to his writing of the letter of Romans or if he's describing himself before conversion or perhaps as a new believer. Many theologians believe that most likely Paul is talking about himself and by extension the believer generally us we who are in christ living in the struggle between being a new creation in christ yet still bound up in our humanness we know that paul is speaking of himself and believers generally because there are several things said in romans seven fifteen to twenty five that would not be said by an unbeliever the person described here in romans seven hates sin In verse 15 said, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Secondly, this person Paul describes desires to do good. In verse 19, For I do not do the good I want. And in verse 21, When I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. The person described here in Romans 7, Delights in God's law, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, He said in verse 22. And the person described here in Romans 7 deeply regrets his sin. In verse 15 he said, For I do not understand my own actions. I do the very thing I hate. And in verse 18, Nothing good dwells in me. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And in verse 24 when he said, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Obviously, this person described in Romans 7 deeply regrets his sin. And lastly, Paul thanks God for deliverance in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. About this struggle, as we see in the second part of Romans 7, verse 25, Paul went on to say, So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So it makes sense he's talking about all believers, even mature believers, who when they honestly evaluate themselves, realize how far short they fall when it comes to obedience. John Calvin said of Romans seven fourteen to 25, that Paul, in his own person, describes the weakness of believers and how great it is. Some months ago, having had another bout of despair at my own sin and shortcomings in living the Christian life, otherwise known as failing to remember the Gospel. I read the book, Extravagant, Extravagant Grace, God's Glory Displayed in Our Weakness by Barbara Dugwood. In it she wrote much about the pastoral writings of John Newton who lived from 1725 to 1807 and wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. This led me to reading select letters of John Newton and out of reading these things, I wanted to mention a couple of things. God could have saved us and made us immediately perfect, yet for the fuller manifestation of his glory, faithfulness, love, mercy, and wisdom, and to make salvation more precious to our souls, God chose to save us and leave indwelling sins within us to wage battle against our new nature in Christ. We know that God hates sin, never tempts anyone to evil, and cannot be tempted himself, from James 1. We know that God is sovereign over sin. Chapters 5 and 6 of the Westminster Confession of Faith pull this together the scripture in summary that this is the case. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, section 5, states in part, The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave For a season, his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts, to chastise them for former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness in their own hearts, that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin. We see the sovereignty of God over sin in the account of Joseph being betrayed by his brothers, whereby he eventually came to rule over Egypt, giving him the means to to provide for his brothers and father Israel, by which a nation was preserved. We know that while God hates sin, never tempts anyone to evil, and cannot be tempted himself, James also said immediately following, But each person is tempted when lured and enticed by his own desire. So while God is sovereign over sin, he is not the author of sin, but we are each responsible for our own sin. If we think that because God hates sin, he must be frustrated and disappointed. Every time we sin, we can become discouraged by the ongoing struggle and our lack of progress in holiness, and even come to fear that God will give up on us would wrote of this, However, if you believe that God is completely sovereign over your sin and is always using it for your own good to teach you more about yourself and more of his grace, then you are free to hate your sin but love what God is doing through it. This does not lead to discouragement, fear, anxiety, and depression. On the contrary, it leads to peace, joy, and greater confidence in the Holy Spirit living within you. John Newton said of this, and he was speaking generally about the believer in Christ Jesus, Every day draws forth some new corruption, which before was little observed, or at least discovers it in a stronger light than before. Thus, by degrees, they are weaned from leaning to any supposed wisdom, power, or goodness in themselves. They feel the truth of the Lord's own words, Without me, you can do nothing." Perhaps the richest fruit of God's work in our hearts is evidenced by increasing humility and dependence on Christ. Are we more likely to learn more about the depravity of our own hearts and the vastness of God's grace by being told of it or by study or by experience, as did David, a man after God's heart, when he took his eyes off God, sinned grievously, out of which he wrote Psalm 51 in part, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. And in verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And then he said in verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David asked God for deliverance from his sin, that God would create a clean heart and renew a right spirit within David, for restored joy, and that God would uphold David, that David would be able to teach sinners so that they would know the way of God and return to him. David sought God's forgiveness, that he would be able to offer acceptable praise to God. In Psalm 51, 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall per- declare your praise as we often say in response to God's call to worship each Sunday morning. And David acknowledged, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. There are many examples of God's own people learning by experience the depravity of their heart and dependence upon God. The Israelites, having been brought out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God, witnessing miraculous rescue and provision, yet they were rebellious against him. God led them into the wilderness that he might humble humble them and test them and know what was in their heart, and also that they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Peter is another. When Jesus asked his disciples the question, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In response, Peter, Jesus blessed Peter and told him he would not know this apart from the Father having revealed it to him. Great answer, right? But when Jesus was foretelling to his disciples about his coming death and resurrection, Peter rebuked Jesus for saying such things, to which Jesus replied, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In Luke 22, Jesus foretold Peter's denial when he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said he would never deny Jesus, that he would die with him. But when Jesus was arrested and his disciples all scattered, Peter, having gone to see where they took Jesus, ended up denying that he knew Jesus three times during Jesus' trial and subsequent crucifixion. Peter denied knowing Jesus once each to two different servant girls and also to a bystander, even to the point of cursing and saying, I do not know the man. When Peter heard the rooster crow, Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. As Dugwood noted, Peter thought he was better than the rest of the disciples, declaring, Lord, even if everyone leaves you, I will never leave you. Peter needed to know his own sinfulness and need before he could care for God's flock with gentleness and humility. For many years, I've heard the caution that we need to remember the gospel and to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. For every look at our sin, take ten looks at the cross. When we fail to remember the gospel, fail to preach the gospel to ourselves, we can, cu- we can come to despair, a wretched man that I am. When we don't remember the gospel, we focus on ourselves instead of on Christ. Although distressed by remaining sinfulness in his humanness, Paul did not despair, as we know from what immediately followed. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He cast himself upon God's mercy. He remembers the gospel and gives thanks to God. We too must remember the gospel. In Romans 8, uh, verse 1, which immediately follows what Paul just said when he said, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is remembering the gospel. In Ephesians 1, we see, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Jesus said, as we see in John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. As Herman Mapula preached to us last week from Hebrews 10, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The number of sins each of us has or will commit is a finite number about which Jesus said, It is finished for those of us who are in Christ. Although sorrowful when we sin, we need not despair when we sin, but rather repent and believe the gospel. As Reverend Moises Zapata preached to us a couple of weeks ago, Believe in the Holy Spirit. Know that he dwells within you. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We should rest in Christ, remember the gospel, repent, believe the gospel, and rest in him. All to which I say, thanks be to God. Will you trust him? I hope you will. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I urge you to consider the law of God, to repent and believe the gospel. Please speak to me or one of the other elders or deacons that we might show you the way of faith. Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, how great a salvation you have wrought for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you for your rich provision to us. Draw us unto yourself that our desire would be to know Jesus. Help us to rest and abide in him, Christ the King. Amen.